Welcome to part 2 of episode 32 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. In part 2, I continue to converse with Gary Gus Masters about his soccer journey. Thanks again to Gus for allowing me the time to conduct this interview. My respect and thanks goes out to him. Please enjoy the second part to episode 32. So, like you said, at the end of that um, that year, you, you went back to playing. But but during the next sort of two to three years, you know, you, outside of uh, soccer, you were also um, you know in a relationship. You're also into the workforce. So, sort of uh, some of those sort of priorities took took first place, didn't they? I certainly did. Yeah, yeah. Lorraine and I got married, and well, we started going out, yep. and you know, priority of. You know, trying to get a house and, you know, my job. Um, <clears throat> you know, I had a, a really successful career at the Steelworks. Um, yep. You know, I was lucky enough to to be, you know, the leading you know, apprentice, you know, right yep. throughout my four years. I, I, I was awarded the New South Wales Apprentice of the Year in 72, yep. you know, for the state, uh, for my trade, but also all trades, and won some awards with that. So with that came the expectation of my career taking off at work rather than being an apprentice I became a, uh, an actual you know supervisor yep so my priority started to change but my love for the sport never changed so you did play a sort of in those sort of years before you joined up with Tarawana you did play still in that federation sort of reserve grade setup where they yeah. turned to Safeway and, and yeah Safeway United uh yep yeah, yeah we certainly did and and I think um, when we were still at Safeway, you know, people like Phil Hamer, unfortunately Phil passed away, you know, sort of last few years. But, yeah. you know, some people like that that I, I grew up playing cricket with, you know, we played Donny James is another great player that I could mention his name. You know, Donny and I played together at Tarawana, you know, and, and yeah, just great memories, you know, of, of some very special people that you spent time with, you know. And, and you knew... Uh, because of you know the time, like you said, medical advances weren't that great. So, um, did um, your position, I guess, on the field change from a right winger to elsewhere in in that period? I actually moved when, when I came back. I actually moved into the middle of the park. Yep. Uh, played as a midfielder, you know, uh, with Safeway. Um, and as I say, towards the end of that, you know, always found um, with having as much work done on my knee at the time. Spent a lot of time in rehab, you know, building building up, you know, the muscles, you know, around the knee itself, yep. which carried me through. Um, you know, I pay for that now, but but certainly yeah. in those times, you know, I could get through games you know, quite it. well. Um, you know, the turning, you know, was always a bit of a problem, but, you know, providing the ball was always in front of me, I, I was fine. You know, certainly had lost a bit of my pace. You know, through through the through um, that injury. yeah through that time yeah and in terms of um, uh, Safeway, I guess the two questions I have about Safeway was one, um, what colours did they play in when it when it changed over? Uh, yellow was the predominant colour, right? That with I can remember. Shirt, yeah. Red, red uh, yellow with a bit of red. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they weren't real flash. And and what colour shorts and socks? Oh, I can't remember. I think that was still yellow too. I think. Um, and, and and did and the second part to that question was did. 
people um, in the area, I know it was uh, economically a, a tough period in terms of um, the early 70s, um, but did people see it as strange that the um, Safeway was a car car yard, wasn't it? So yeah. That they, their sponsorship was... They took over the club in a sense. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I don't think. Um, yeah, because Balgowney was struggling at that time yeah. too. You know, they yeah. were just about ready to fold as yeah. well. You know, so it sort of lost a, a bit. And and to be truthful, I think the district soccer started to benefit from that. And yeah. certainly, once Safeway folded, there was a lot of players from Balgowney and from Safeway that went back to district clubs. Yeah. But there was people like Robert Banks. Um, yeah. You know that, that came out of, you know, out of uh, district, out of Blamby, and that to come to Greg Goodfellow, you know, from Coromel, you know, came to Safeway to have a bit of a stint, but it obviously didn't last long because the club itself didn't last that long, you know. So yourself was uh, yourself and people that you know. Was it sad when um, Safeway sort of ended up, um, sort of finishing up in that sense? Yeah, it, well, it was almost like your dream yep. had finished, yep. um, you know, because because I'd spent, I like a lot of others in the district, and, you know, that you'd spent that much time sort of watching. going and watching and then playing yeah. and partaking, you know, as, as a club that was always... Um, you know, certainly had some, some success under Jim Kelly probably didn't have the same level of success after that, but yep. was always very competitive, yep. you know, always middle of the table, you know, sort of positions, you know. Uh, I think it was only the time that, you know, Tommy Anderson was coaching South Coast United that they really started to struggle yep. and were just hanging on, you know, you know, by the skin of their teeth at the end, you know. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was different when, they, when it wasn't there. Yep. And, and to have that field... Not having state league soccer, you yeah. know, because I mean, let's face it. In those days, I mean, the Australian side was probably made up of ninety-five percent of the Sydney league, yeah. and and five percent of Western Australia and, and Victoria. I mean, the Victorian state league was very strong. You know, where guys like Bray Barts and you know those sorts of players or that caliber sort of came out of there, but yeah. there wasn't a lot. Most of it came out of the out of the state league here. Um, you know, in New South Wales. So um, what sort of... Um, do you remember how it then came to be that in, in 76 that you went to Tarawana Soccer Club? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never quite sure about... Because know, Fern, when... Fern Hill were, I think, still in the top league at that point and, and you were a Fern Hill junior, so when you sent through the timeline, it intrigued me why you, you went to Tarawana. So, so the reason I went to Tarawana was... My brother David went to Tarawana the year before, okay. and he played the one season for Tarawana in '75 yep. with Mick Grant and people like that under Gary yep. Tuckerman, and um, played first grade. Um, had a pretty good year. Played in the midfield, yep. and I used to go and watch Dave play. And when I was looking for a club, people like Ross Emerton and that were only too happy for me to. Yeah, and and I guess then it was you know the Gary Tuckermans, the Dave Nailers, and people like that yep. that that were there, the Wayne Bradfords, you know, that were there because Wayne and 
David had both come over from Balgownie. Yep. I think in 75, David played for Unandera yes, under Casey, and they won the league. The next, And Les Sheedy had come across. Well, Les and my um, relationship, so when I played with Safeway, the yep. last year with Safeway, we played when Casey, that was the year 75, and I actually marked Les Sheedy out of Balls yep. Park, and he broke my nose. Right, um, and and both Les and I, <clears throat> Les was a boilermaker who yeah. he and his brother worked together inside the steelworks, and he used to do work for me, <laughs> and it was a, it was a bit of a standing joke that he's my nose out, you know, <laughs> across my face, cop, cost cost me an operation, but you know nothing nothing more funnier, but uh, yeah, so going to play for Tarawana, yeah, up at, up up in the in the hills, yep. Um, was probably an easy choice. I never really considered going to Fernhill. I don't know why, yep. except for that Dave, my brother, played there. Okay. It looked like a good club. I, I in that that one year, the '75, oh, I got what? to know a lot of them. Yeah. And you know, Tucko was still going to be the coach. Steve Hudson was still playing. He was on the committee, and Steve and I played under 18s together. So you had some relationships. So there. there was already some, you know, very very nice sort of. Uh, feelings that you had to go in there, and and in that sort of from seventy six to sort of eighty one, um, you know, it was probably, um, if I know my history roughly right, it was probably one of the strongest eras Tarawana's had. You know, being one of the best teams, if not the best team in that period, along with say the likes of Ferry Meadow. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly in that time, uh, developed some very good players. You know, like I guess. A lot of the players that we had had already played in state league. Yep. So, you know, when you talk about Graham Edwards as a Charlie as a goalkeeper, yep. you know, Dave Naylor, myself, Tucko, um, you know, Wayne Bradford, they all played state league together. You had a Gordon Miller, you know, who was an exceptionally one of the best, you know, players to ever play down here, more skillful players, Glenn Fontana. Yep. You know, the Graham Ingrams, the Jeff Shepherds had played at South Coast United and Safeway. So there was a lot of people that you say that knew how to play at a higher level. level. But the level within the district really had improved. You know, Wally Miller was coaching, Victory. you know, Fig Tree at that time, and Adrian Ringland's had a bit of a run there, and then Kari and Lukey Robards got involved. So they had, and, and Fig Tree was strong. You know, okay. Stephen Royals, I mean. He gave me some headaches, you know, like... Because you went back into defence once you joined Tarawana. Yeah, well, well, Tucko was the sweeper. I played as the stopper, yep. you know, and I was never very tall, but, you know, out jumping a Stephen Royal and, you know, you know, become a bit of a challenge. But but so if you look at that, probably before Ferry Meadow became the good side, certainly Fig Tree was the gun side. Sorry. Berkeley was another good gun side, you yep. know, the, the John Bingham's. Yeah, had put together with Rob Ritchie and Phil Mowbray and players of that sort of calibre, you know. So every side had a bit of a sprinkling. Yep. And you had the Unandera in 75 that was a good side. But then when Casey left and the players started to disperse, they fell away. Yep. So, and then, then as I say, um, Fern Hill had a good side. Yeah, you had Hugh Tinney that was at at Ferry Meadow for a period of time. Then Hugh, Hugh went to Fern Hill and turned that into a really, really strong club. 
Yeah, then Coniston became a strong club with Bobby Fryer. Yeah, then Bobby went to Harris, I think, you know. So there was... But you could see that... I guess the the main thing was that the people that changed the way a club sort of played and the success was based around, I think, a lot about the stake league. And that that was probably really good for this district, you know, because the the league itself became very, very competitive and strong. And in terms of that success at Tarawana, um, you know, what are some of the sort of matches or, or trophies... Um, that sort of spring to mind when you look back on now. Oh, certainly. Time. You know, through 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 um, you know through the Taco um, era. Yep. <clears throat> you know, we we did exceptionally well. You know, through the state cup, I yep. think we got to almost the semi-finals. We played a quarter-final out of Balls Paddock that were very unlucky to to lose. I can't remember it was a yep, grand yeah, ball yeah. or something yep. like that. Uh, uh, Mick Grant was exceptional. We talk about Max Tolson. You know, Mick Grant, who was a, a centre-back you know, for Balgowney you know, before he got badly injured, actually played as a right winger you know, um, for us, but was exceptional in, in the cross balls of just getting up and nodding them now for other people to score. So that was a, a really good you know, sort of period. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we copped a bit of a hammering off you know, um, fig tree in the grand final at Balls Paddock. Um, but the next year, Dennis Patterson came along yep. um, to Tarawana. And Dennis just changed, you know, the whole complex of how training was going to be. And you so know, how, did, how did he do that? Well, very, very systematic. Yep. Took pay, people back to basics. I mean, people couldn't believe that they were being asked to control a ball, the head a ball, volley a ball. Um, do first defender, you know, stuff that these guys, I think, even through their state league days, had never been taught. Uh, Dennis just, you know, the theory behind Dennis, I, I mean, I, I saw that when I saw Casey De Bruyne as a coach, yep. but Dennis Patterson was the very first person I actually ever saw, you know, break the game down into some really simple techniques. Yep. And that's how we trained from the very, very first training session even to the point to, to build up, you know, your physical ability in a game, you know, or, or a season, Dennis used to have a little circuit, you know, that he had laid out. And he, and he did it with, I think, people from the university, yep. you know, same as what I did later when I coached. Uh, and it was just a circuit that increased as you went from different colours as the weeks progressed. Yes. So if it was over 10 weeks or 12 weeks... You'd go from yellow through to whatever the last colour was, and it was an increasing number. Then you'd do a lap, right? Go through it again, then you'd do a lap around the oval, and it was all recorded. You know, so people couldn't fool, you know, what what level of fitness you were doing. It was the most disciplined coach I'd ever, ever, ever played under. And, and, and let's not forget that Dennis was an extremely good player as well. Under 23 international yep. for Australia. And um, I think he had some uh, interactions with uh, the Arcadians Theatre as well in terms of a very talented man, obviously. Dennis had uh, multiple talents. And, and I think that you know, later in life, he, you know, before he passed away, uh, and that was just so sad for mm-hmm. me. Um, I mean, I became very, very close to, to Dennis and Diane, I mean, you know, his wife. And 
<clears throat> never, never felt so sad when he passed away. But, but he loved to act. Yeah. He loved to dress up. I've never seen a person. Um, Tara Wanna had down at Coromel Surf Club a, a dress up night. And Dennis came dressed as a girl, mate, and he was the best looking girl in the place, <laughs> I'm telling you. And, and, you know, like he wasn't a, he was a very uh, finely built person, yep. right? So he suited it to a T. Um, you know, and my wife and I, if we reflect on, on that particular night, laugh about how good Dennis was. But they tell me that he really got into his Arcadian yep. uh, acting, loved it. And in terms of initially, like you said, you had a, a squad there at Tarawana that was state league and then he um, brought in this sort of more simpler approach but that it was very disciplined and systematic. So was it people were apprehensive at first and think, well, what's going on here? Well, I think that most players are when it goes back to what are you trying to, tell, what are you trying to sell me here, yeah. you know? Um, I can't do but, this sort of thing. But, yeah. but it just gradually grew. And Dennis, once again, was very quiet. Yep. Never said a lot. Of, a lot. In actual fact, um, I loved it because I played. I I had moved back into the sweeper role, yep. and Dennis allowed me as the captain of the side to have more of a say at half time um, than probably what he did. But he used to predominantly play in the left hand side of midfield yep. or, or as a left winger at times. Uh, and the last five minutes of the half, he would just drift out of the game a bit and sit and do his observing. But he relied on me a hell of a lot playing at the back. So I, I think we became a very, very good combination. And and, and, and actually taught me, sorry, track, and actually taught me to read the game more. That was probably the very first time in my whole career that I actually knew what I was doing in terms of reading the game and communicating with players and sussing out how a team played against you and countering it. Yep. It was probably my best learning the time that I had with Dennis Patterson. He taught me something I didn't I didn't know until later. Yeah. And and, and I guess, you know, that that's that was a part for me from Dennis, that you were still learning. You know, where I thought I'd stop learning. Yes. You know? And, um, well, yeah, it says that, a lot about him, doesn't it? Well, it, it did. And then, and then my association with Casey de Bruyne taught me something else, yep. you know. And so, um, like you said, you had, you know, six-odd six seasons there at Tarawana and, and had success. So um, what sort of, um, and I guess before we get to the end of that, sort of at the end of the 70s there... Um, just as a coincidence in life, but you were selected in an Illawarra representative team to go to New Zealand again. So, um, you know, I guess if you were sort of talking in that late 50s as a five-year-old that you'd go to New Zealand twice, it, you wouldn't have thought that, would you? No, no, I, I, I definitely it was... I, I worked really hard in those days, I mean, because there were some other pretty, pretty talented people, sweepers that I was up against, you know, um, yeah, the Huey Tinnies and, yeah. you know, that, I mean, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, I'm so grateful that I was picked and that, once again, it continued that learning journey, And is, you know? And is that where you had your first real interaction with Casey? Yeah, yeah, it probably was, um, you know, um, you know in, in that time frame. And, and then from that, you know, I'd, I'd done my coaching certificate with Casey 
here at Judy Masters at yep. the back of the Oval and then and then Casey used to invite me along, you know, because he became one of the most technical, technically coached or qualified coaches in the Southern Hemisphere, wow. you know, uh, at that stage, you know. Um, and he just kept on building and building and building. And, and I remember, you know, doing a, a number of coaching, you know, courses with Casey where he would use me as the demonstrator, you know, of how to demonstrate with the other coaches yep. to help them understand more, you know, and that was, that was uh, great. So um, a successful tour there with the Illawarra Rep Team to New Zealand. And so I guess were you, um, obviously by doing these coaching tickets, you then wanted to sort of progress from playing into into the coaching ranks? Well, I think after that, that sort of time frame, you know, with Tarawana, where it yep. was sort of starting to come to a bit of an end, and, yep. and I thought, well, where to, where to from here, you know? Yep. And uh, I, I did a couple of coaching stints, you know, probably before I got my intermediate licence in those yep. days, uh, which was the second highest, you know, qualification you could get. Um, the senior licence in those days was a, a week-long um, coaching you know, course in Canberra. Um, okay. Both Lorraine and I couldn't afford, you know, for me to do it. Um, I would have loved to have done it. Yeah. But, you know, with a family and a mortgage and a job to keep down, we couldn't afford to, you know, for me to have the time to, or the time plus the money to, to do it. So I chose not to, you know, sort of go any higher from that perspective. But So, yeah... Um the Tarawana, sort of the finishing there, so it was all fine from their perspective and your perspective. You'd finished your playing and, and you wanted to move on um, and you moved on to Russellvale the next year in, in 82? Well, well, my knees started to play up in that stage. I mean, the fact is that you had no cartilages, uh, wear and tear, bone on bone, mm. um, you know, to, to train uh, you know, for probably... The last two to three seasons at Tarawana, you know, in those days we used to play a lot of Saturday-Sunday games. Yep. Uh, I'd either play in the rep team on the Saturday in Canberra and come back and play a match of the day against Adapto up at home on the Sunday. Yep. Um, my, my left knee was taking a bit of a caning at this stage and, and I found the recovery. Uh, I, I couldn't train, you know, much of a Tuesday oh, yeah, night yep. because... I just have too much swelling on the knee, um, and then by the Thursday I could do a session, just enough beyond the session to to play on the Saturday. Had to find alternate ways of keeping my fitness up, yep. and yeah, it's like anything. You know, you you don't want to be, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be uh, wounded for the rest of your life, <laughs> and you've got to make some hard decisions. And I found. That if the ball was in front of me, I was fine. But my turning ability, turning your knee yep. to chase, became much harder. Um, but you know, I mean, I'd had a, I'd had a great career, and you know, I'd played in some fairly big games. Uh, there was a game down at Dapto, you know, showground against the Australian Eleven, which we spoke about before, yeah. against some very good players. That you know, was one of the standouts um, on the tour to New Zealand. The very last game we played in Christchurch was against one of the, one of their well I'll say they one of their national teams yep. you know which it was uh, it's like our state league sides yep. or a league sides yep. you know in 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 New Zealand you know we played a draw with them that was an exceptional game we played exceptional 
you know um you know they're the memories that i have you know and so for yourself um how did the russellvale position come up yeah i'm not quite sure how how that sort of just opened the door that was russellvale were new were going up into premier league um um for at that particular time it was their very very first uh, game oh year sorry and they, they, I think they approached me okay. you know, to, would I come and coach? And, so uh, and I can't remember, I, I think it was Kenny Flanagan and Neville Townsend, yep. you know. I, I think that's how it happened. And you were playing at Corley Park there? Yeah, that, well, in actual fact, we trained at Corley Park. Yep. We played at the, the, the Greyhound track at Bulleye Slacky Flat oh, okay. in the middle. So that, and they couldn't have played at Corley Park, they wouldn't have allowed them in because of the standards. Oh, okay. So we had to walk, had to, had to get changed in the big, yeah. dark, you know, um, change rooms under the grandstand there and walk out onto the oval. But Bulleye Workers had played there um, through part of their, you know, Bulleye, they were Bulleye workers. workers for a period of time. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't the first, first time that, you know, the, Soccer had been played in the middle of slacky fat. So, how did you find that uh, that first sort of official season as coaching, where you probably only played a handful of games when needed, but you predominantly coached? Yeah, and 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 I played a few games, you know, too. You know, when we were struggling for injury. Yep. Uh, look, that was a great year. You know, people like uh, Paulie Harris, you know, yep. that had played at Berkeley and Unidera under Casey, came back because he was originally a Russellville junior. Now Brian Adamson, you yeah. know, um, you know that we did exceptionally well. You know, I think we finished probably mid-table. You know, yeah. um, but I hadn't really aspired to get into coaching. Work was interfering, not yeah. interfering, but that was my driver at yeah. that stage. Um, you know, with a young family, um, so yeah, and we were moving into a new house or a house at Kennehooker. So there was a lot of things happening, and I wasn't. I wasn't about to coach, but I worked with a person called Otto Bader. Yep. And Otto had a long association with Shell Harbour Soccer Club. And um, they went through a very difficult time. Uh, and the difficult time was that the workers' club were broke yep. and they couldn't give them any sponsorship. Um, and the second part of it was that with them not getting any sponsorship meant they couldn't pay their high-priced players. And they had, you know, people like Johnny Bingham and that, that that they couldn't afford to keep. So Otto asked me, would I do him a favour and come down and coach? He always wanted me to play for him. But I said, I would never, ever leave Tara. I wanted to play for you. I said, I I, I wouldn't. And I said, I won't accept a cent. Yep. So we were living at Kennel Hooker at the time. So it made sense logistically. Yeah. And... And I was lucky enough for people like the Ronnie Vanderboards and yeah um, to actually stay on. Yep. And Ronnie wasn't getting paid either. Where he was a pretty high pri- oh, high profile player, yep. you know, that had been yeah through a few clubs, like not not been through a few clubs, but had played for a few yeah, clubs. Definitely. But very very classy player, Ron. And um, so Ron stayed on. And, and this uh, was eighty three, eighty four. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I actually spent a bit of time just developing some of their junior players. It turned out to be very, very good players. You know, the Kevin O'Donnells and players like that, you know. Scotty Fowler became a very, very good midfielder, you know. Um, Brad Fowler, 
you know, his brother played centre-back, you know. Dave Laidlaw, you know, um, played a little bit of first grade for me, you know. So, so because of the financial problems, you got to <clears throat> sort of, I guess, accelerate people's careers in the Premier League in that sense? Well, I brought a lot of their younger players that were playing yeah. in their youth grade, yep. right, uh, straight into first grade. And as I say, you know, people like Ronnie and that hung around and I think he enjoyed it too, you know. So, you know, we'd, we'd had a lot of banter while we played against each other. Yep. And then the fact is, and I really appreciate it, I've probably never told him this, but yeah. I really did appreciate him hanging on, you know, yeah. and staying there with me. Well, you it, know? Helps, it helps a coach when there's senior players around. And, and you needed it because, you know, bringing, and it's still the same now, you bring young players into a higher grade, uh, you, you can't expect them to get a whole season out of them playing at a higher level. They've got to have this, you know, up, and yep. then it's got to be a big drop. So you've got to be prepared for that, you know. And no, no, that was that was enjoyable, you know. And so Otto um, is probably famous in the area for a lot of things, but, yeah, definitely his love there at that club. So how did you find Otto? Uh, look, look, Otto was just a person. Yeah, he was a great supporter for the game. Yep. Uh, Kirsten's his son that he loved seeing Kirsten play, but unfortunately Kirsten didn't continue to play. Yep. But... You know, for the district and for the Shell Harbour area, yeah, I mean, you, I don't think you could meet a better person. No, definitely you not. Know, and someone for the game, because he just loved it. He just wanted to talk it. As long as Germany were winning, he was fine. <laughs> right? And Shell Harbour. Due to some technical difficulties, I'm adding in a bit here in regards to Shell Harbour. Um, there was a bit of a battery change and, and apologies on my part. And at that point in time, uh, Gus was talking about John Lloyd the club captain at Shell Harbour when he coached there, um, a long-standing centre-back that also supported with development of some good youth graders to step up in Gus's time there as coach. So uh, that's why I'm inserting this bit now. Um, back to the interview. Right. And and then you, um, after sort of 83, 84, um, you then had a, a, a two-year... Um, stint back at Tarawana so um, sort of did you move back into the area and, and that sort of culminated in that or because it was Tarawana you took up the role? Well I think the Tarawana at that stage had been struggling for a couple of years yep. and I, I don't know whether I ever actually thought you know that I would coach you know Tarawana even though I had a, a great playing career there you know yep. and absolutely loved it I thought that maybe because I was too close to it that I would never coach. But I do remember, you know, at the time, um, you know, um, Mrs Tomlinson and, you know, Mr Tomlinson were sort of on the committee there yeah. at Tarawana. Keith and Steve, or Steve played with me, but Keith yeah. was there. And, you know, so I thought, well, maybe it works for me. Yep. You know, um, and we were still, I think, at that stage of Kenna Hooker. So it meant a bit of travelling, but... <laughs> I was travelling out this way to play first grade cricket, so it didn't really matter. Um, but yes, yeah, so so I thought that I'd have, and once again, that was that was purely I was on this development phase yep. of anyone, and you know the Daryl Quirks and you know players of that sort of calibre, you know were the players that I was generally interested. Donnie James played the first year for me, you know, um, still the fittest player I've ever <laughs> seen in my life that never trained with us because he used to work afternoon shift. But he did a lot of road running himself. But his fitness level, which I used to check, 
um, you know, sort of every month uh, and put him through a fitness test, um, I could gauge that he was still the fittest player in my club by a mile. And so were Tarawana in that sort of two-year period still in the Premier League? Yeah, they're still in the Premier League. They'd been back, I think, at that stage, and then they came back up. But... um, and I think Mark Sweeney might have had a, a, a coaching year there, I think, when yep. they came back up. But, yeah, they, um, once again, had no money, just yep. the, the, the family club they were, yep. and it was time just to, you know, bring a lot of those young players through into first grade, you know. And so what was probably the most enjoyable aspect of, of those two years? I think just uh, being consistent. We actually... Uh, um, Claude Cellini was a player that I bought into first grade. Yep. Claude was an under eighteen player, I think, at Blamey. Him and him and another player, Bobby Toth, yep. um, and and Claude, you know, um, was my strike weapon. You know, before he went to you know the Wolves, um, you know, and and seeing people like that 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 actually played and and developed, and I carried through a lot of the stuff that Dennis had done. Yep. Um, but also too, I, I uh, Owen Curtis, who was at the uh, the university in charge of their sports science section, I spent a lot of time with him talking around fitness levels, programs of how to get a person to a certain level of fitness, how to maintain oh, it, yeah. you know, and then drop a player off, then bring them back, you know. So if you look at how a season is yeah. over the period, a ten week lead in competition. You know, how do I let a player off a bit? Then how do I bring them back for semi-finals? And and in that time, Tarawana won the uh, pre-season. I think one of the few times they've actually ever won the Coromel East Club knockout. And I guess uh, at the end of '86, you you finished up senior coaching at that point in time, and obviously um, your vocation and and more importantly your family sort of took priority. And then that's where you know um, you got to I guess in the junior ranks. Um, start coaching, uh, Dale, coaching your yeah. children as well. Yeah, well, Dale, Dale and Casey actually played together at Balgownie. Yep. Um, we'd moved back to Balgownie at that time yep. in that period. Um, you know, and because of the ages, um, Casey and Dale could actually play one season together. So that was a that was really great. Good thrill. Yeah, uh, seeing your you know your, your eldest daughter and your, your only son sort of play together. That was. That was fabulous. Um, yeah, Casey made a few of them look pretty ordinary. Some of the boys uh, made Clarky look really good. Um, uh, for the people, that's Matthew Clark. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, and that, that was really good. But then we had a really good, successful time uh, at, at Balgownie with a great bunch of kids. You know? Yeah, because um, uh, when speaking to Victor... Costable, um, in a few uh, episodes ago, he, he spoke about his champion of champions days and, and how he uh, loved playing under yourself. And, and I think it was three years in a row that um, you had to win your own league first and then and then play in these sort of set of knockout games. Yeah, so, so the champion of champions is a state knockout, you know, for all the, the league champions of individual, you know, uh, districts. Yep. And, um, you know, we not only... You know, fought hard to win our own league, yep. um, but then, you know, played exceptionally well over a long period of time. In actual fact, right up until the boys were 14, we were, you know, in the champion of champions every year. Um, we won it the first three years, yep. um, but, you know, every year, 
you know, um, when we got to 12s, you know, the the good players in my side were picked to go and play in the yeah, rep right. team, so it meant we had to bring some more players in. So our, our, our team after our under-12s, so we won under-10s, yeah. under-11s, under-12s. Um, we were beaten under-13s, I think, in the semi-final. Yeah. Under-14s, you know, we made the, the semi-final. So, so we, we've made, you know, been in the top four in the state basically all the way through their junior ranks. Um, so that was pretty exceptional. And in terms of, um, I guess, that sort of soccer bug inside you and coaching, did you think, um, OK, I'm not coaching senior soccer, but I'm getting to coach the kids and, and um, my son, so um, I'm sort of meeting my appetite for soccer in that sense? I mean, you always want to be involved with your children's sport anyway, yeah. and um, that was only going to be natural for me to actually coach. And and to be truthful, I think you know earlier on you might have hinted that I gave away the senior ranks to concentrate more on my children. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I've I gave you know, um, and I think I've given back to them and given to other junior players along the way yeah, plenty. Definitely. You know, of opportunity to, to be good at their, their given sport. Yeah. And, and as well as that, like your, your time management skills are, are amazing reading through it, <laughs> but sort of that 1990 period as well as sort of doing what most people do, you also started giving back to the game in terms of refereeing. Yeah, so, so <clears throat> refereeing was in our family as well because my yep. dad was a qualified, you know, sort of uh, official and... And, um, you know, through this period, I thought, well, I can do junior sport, you know, with the kids and I can also referee of a Saturday afternoon. You know, I can manage the the two because I've always filled my time in pretty well. You know, and if Lorraine was sitting here, my wife was sitting (laughs) here, she'd say probably more than than was needed. But um, once again, when you're playing and when you're coaching, you want to see the best people referee. And, um, yeah, I wanted to aspire to, to do, you know, Premier League games, you know, yep. just, yeah, you know, I, I, because like when you're playing as a referee, if you really want to be a good referee, you've got to read the game. Yep. And I love that. I love reading the contests. Yep. I love reading the game. So, yeah, yeah. So that, that I, I, I was sort of fortunate over, I think, about a five-year period, you know, that, that while I thought that, you know, that I've got the, you know, sort of Dale coming through and you know Casey went off to play a bit of netball I think after that but then she got back into soccer itself so you know so yeah uh, no it was good refereeing I love and and in terms of that refereeing career um you know you did some first division grand final appointments um you know premier league youth grade but you also uh did some refereeing um there at Brandon Park as well so uh, what were some of the highlights there in the refereeing I think um you know, one of the highlights during that refereeing part for me was the match of the days at Brandon Park, a Port yep. Kembler versus a Wollongong Olympic. Yep. You know, where you've probably got in excess of 2,000 people in a grandstand, seeing it full, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, you know, getting the opportunity to go out there at 3 o'clock and referee a game like that, that you knew there was two sides going to go hard at each other and um, and you wanted to be a part of the contest. I mean... You know, the most disappointing part for me was actually not getting, you know, the grand final at the end of that season. And that was my last year of refereeing. Yeah. Uh, As you said, I'd refereed at youth grade level, 
you know, reserve grade level, first yeah. division, first grade, but I never actually got to referee. I, I thought the year that I probably deserved, yeah. you know, to get... Because uh, I'd had enough big games through the year. Um, but, you know, I was up against some, you know, pretty good other referees. People like Mario Mastroianni, yeah. you know, was always a favourite, you know, to win the big games, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes in, in life that's what happens, you know. But But to... To referee some of those match of the days at Brandon Park, which I thought were just absolutely special. And, and what about some of the refereeing fraternity, some of the uh, uh, refereeing colleagues and other sort of administrators? Uh, what are some of the names there that sort of come to mind? Oh, Rex Layton, yeah. you know, uh, Phil Torpy, they've put a lot of time and effort in, you know, to the game. I mean, they refereed me when I was playing yeah. um, and then I refereed with those guys, you know. Um, as I said, when... When Rex and I were both doing first grade appointments, you know, uh, he he had a trainee referee, I had a trainee referee. One was Peter Vertkoski, the other one was Sovere. Yep. You know, so you can go back and reflect on those days. Lysart's playing in a big game at Lysart's Oval. You know, yep. Casey De Bruin on the sideline giving you heaps. You know, <laughs> I mean, what what more could you want on a Saturday afternoon? Well, we definitely need referees, and that, that's for sure. Apologies, listeners, for the interruption to the interview. As sometimes happens in the interviews I conduct, I miss parts of an interviewee's timeline. And with Gus, I forgot to ask him about his year in 1996 as a youth grade coach with Cringilla Lions and his three years, 97, 98 and 99, with Bulleye Soccer Club as youth grade coach. So I emailed Gus, and this is how he replied in regards to both these coaching appointments. Firstly, I asked Gus why he went to Cringilla Lions in 1996. He said in 1996, Eric Thompson was coaching at the club, and Gus knew Eric as they worked together in the hot strip mill at Blue Scope, or the steelworks. Eric asked Gus if he'd be interested in coming to help, that is coach youth grade. Gus at the time had his successful Bowgani junior team, so Gus accepted the role and took a few of the boys from this junior team with him that year. They finished in the top four, but first grade didn't have a great year and Eric was under constant pressure. Gus recalls Norm, the president, and George, the secretary, along with experienced players such as Zifko, Isco and Bobby T. The following year he went to Bulleye as youth grade coach. The reason he took this appointment was due to a conversation he had with Kevin Love who he had played with at South Coast United and John Frew who was first grade coach at the time. Kevin and John said they wanted him to coach and develop the youth at the club and additionally, he could bring some of the players that he'd coached previously with him. And so Gus then developed players such as Matthew Clark, Adam and Paul Barlow, Luke Rolls, Dale Masters and Shay Connor. Gus stated that Clarky, Adam and Shay all played first grade over the coming years. During the three years at Bulleye, John Frew left and coached at Wollongong Olympic at some point, and Peter Beggs was appointed as the next first grade coach. Gus noted that Peter Beggs was in his dad's Illawarra team previously and Peter wanted Gus to help him out. Gus recalls some of the Bulleye committee at the time, Roy Hancocks, Kevin Love, Hans Van Eed, Ray Curtin 
and reserve grade coach Alan Mangles, who he had a great relationship with, and they were really good mates. Bulleye during this period did well, and additionally had the floods. Overall, Gus loved his time with Bulleye, and he stated it was probably the best-run club with great committee, members and spectators. At the end of 1998, as per his interview, which we'll get back to in just a few moments, he moved on to supporting his daughter Casey at the Wolves. Don't want to take up too much longer, but you did um, get to then coach Casey again in terms of the women's. So, um, and, and it was the Wollongong Starlets under the Wolves, Wollongong Wolves banner. So how was that sort of um, couple of years there that you had in 2000, 2001? So Casey, Casey um, started playing... You know, soccer at school under John Cropper. Yeah. Um, you know, Kira, and and thoroughly liked it. So she sort of started to kick on. You know, she was good enough. She actually represented Australia at indoor and went yep. to England for three weeks, and a really good indoor player. Um, and I followed her across the state. Yep. You know, with the school, and then started playing with the Wollongong United women's team. Um, in, in, in a lower division, um, and then that team folded. And then they started to uh, look at, under Wally Boscoscuro, yep. down at Wollongong Wolves, you know, developing the outside grounds yes. there, you know, for their junior teams as well as the women. And, um, you know, the, the committee of the women actually uh, approached me about whether I'd be interested, you know, to come and coach. At that stage, the very first year, they were in the lower division. They weren't in the state league. They were in yep. Division 1 or Division 2, whichever way you like to call it. Um, and then, so we built a club. They'd already had the processes in place, but we built a playing staff and, um, you know, with the current players they had, um, but, which was really enjoyable. Um, yep. You know, I've never... And, and, and then certainly the we, we finished in a position in the league, we won the league, that we could actually get elevated to the highest level of women's soccer in New South Wales uh, into Division 1. The following year. The following year. And that's where, you know, Jenny Shelton, you know, and, and other players like that were playing in a local league, right? I actually went and chased them. They were playing at Ian McClellan Park in the yep. grand final. She was playing with a lot of the other girls for South Coast United. Yep. And I selected the best players in the district along with people from Sutherland that had left the district here to go and play in a higher league to come back to Wollongong and over those two years I think what women's soccer taught me is that compared to men or boys soccer is they are they were the group of girls I work with probably the most devoted girl people in trying to learn more about the game Right, but the, the 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 hardest part for me was that after you'd spent twelve months or two years with them, they wanted to give the game away. They wanted yeah. to go off and do something different, and that was really hard because you felt like your work wasn't done. Yeah. But but in 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 getting players to understand the basics and what to do with the basics. Um, they're very, very smart and very, very skillful, and I can understand why women's soccer now is progressing at the rate that it is within Australia and across the world. Yeah, but the continuity or longevity is the yeah, part yeah. that people have got to work on. Yeah. Well, like I said, we'll we'll finish up because I've taken up a lot of your time, and and you've had to 
I guess, um, talk talk extensively about various things. But before we talk about, you know, um, your wife Lorraine and 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 the support that she's been she's given you over the journey. Um, what about um, now in recent times with the grandchildren and whatnot? Um, you still get you've still got that appetite to teach, not just the grandchildren but others that they play with. So you've still got that sort of appetite for soccer and the love for the game? Yeah, so my grandson and granddaughter, you know, which are both the Casey's um, boys and boy and girl, both started with Albion Park, so I coached them with yep. Casey for a season. But I've sort of sat more on the fringe, you know, in, in especially in um, in Jesse, my grandson's case. Yep. Um, I, I go down and do afternoon session, session with him, you know, periodically when, yep. when when we need to do work on some stuff. But he's 15 now, and we've just finished a very successful season at, at Shell Harbour. That's where he's playing now. Yep. Um, his team finished uh, league champions. Um, he plays as a, a twin centre-back or, or sometimes a sweeper, yep. which I think I can coach him fairly well in. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, so they're league champions, got beat, you know, in the penalty shootout in the, in the champion of champions uh, just recently, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But I just love, you know, watching him play. Same as what I did with Dale you know, and Casey. I mean, I just love the contest. He's, uh, he's developed. So you're not, you're not coaching the team? You're just uh, assisting well, I actually coach. Or you did coach. I actually coach the goalkeeper. That's what okay. I went to do. So okay. the goalkeeper is a family friend. Yep. Uh, he was pretty raw when I started with him in the beginning of last year. Yep. He's a very good shot stopper now. Um, and I work with Michael, but you know, I, I assist the coach in, in guiding the boys you yep. know, in, in how to play. And, and it's hard tracker because once I get involved, I, I, a lot of times I take over. Yep. Or I appear to take over, but, <laughs> I, but I just love... It, it, it gets your blood boiling. Yeah, it, yeah. It's hard to, to not do it. And dad in the children or the grandchildren, it's a it's a great mix. Yeah, and and it's it's a good great way to um, to stay with your grandkids, you know, fourteen and fifteen year old, and you know, you're a part of their life. I mean, my, one of my other grandsons will will start in under fives here at uh, Balgowney yep. next year, and and Cooper and I already have a bit of a kick around now, you know, and and, and you never know, you know. And and to to finish up, let's talk uh, about um, your, your greatest supporter, Lorraine. You know, like like you said at the start of the interview, in terms of your family, in terms of your mum and dad, how you know it was one in all in. You know, um, she might be behind the scenes, but she's uh, you couldn't do this without her. Um, yeah, behind a, a good man is always a good woman, and yep. and Lorraine has never ever stopped me from doing the things that I want to do. Yep. She's always given me encouragement. Um, yeah, it, it, it is hard for her at times because she's had the three kids. Because yep. not only Casey and Dale, but we've had Alyssa, who was a little bit younger. But uh, I never missed one of Alyssa's netball games. Yep. Yeah, you know, Alyssa's never played, you know, soccer, but but she was a very very good netballer and could have kept on playing a little bit longer. But a good mate of mine, Neil Code, and myself. Neil's daughter, you know, um, played in the same team as Alyssa yep. for many years. So having a person like Neil and myself sit on the sideline, not being allowed to say anything, because <laughs> netball is completely different to any other sport, you know, where parents are, are told to shut up and yep. and be quiet. But 
No, Lorraine has always given me uh, great support and always been there to, you know, sort of make sure that things around the house are done, you know, so that I can concentrate on what I do. And I do overcommit myself a lot and have done, you know, between soccer, you know, work, and also I'm a a cricket, you know, sort of lover as well. And it's always been that those two sports have always sort of crossed over. So. My, my life never, ever stops. Some people think, oh, at the end of a soccer season, they've got a break between then and pre-season training. Unfortunately, I was, or fortunately, I was already into cricket. You know, so that's what Lorraine's had to put up with, and I love it to death, so, you know. And after all this time, we're still best of mates, track, so something must be working. Well, that is the beauty of it, and I think that's a, a great note to end the interview, and, and like I said, I'll, I'd just like to personally... Uh, Obviously, thank you for giving your time and a lot of it um, and uh, go through your career. And obviously, um, you know, there was times there at Baugiani Rangers where you helped out different coaches help out and I always got a buzz because I'd heard about you um, through different players. So um, I got a buzz out of being coached by you occasionally and I've really got a buzz out of listening to you tonight. So, Gussie, thank you. Thanks, Tracker. It is here where we finish part two of episode 32. Thanks again to Gus. I respect and appreciate his time. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. Mm